The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 245. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, Happy New Year to you. Welcome to Dose of Leadership, the first show of 2016. So happy you're joining me. On Dose of Leadership, this is the show where we talk about, it can be an elusive subject, an elusive topic. It is the topic of leadership. Why is it so important? Why do we have a show dedicated to it? Because it's central to everything that we do. It impacts every single one of us. Whether you consider yourself a leader or not, leadership is at the core of everything that you do that is worth anything of significance. All throughout history, human history has proved to us that anything significant achievement has been accomplished through leadership or or at least an understanding of it because how well you understand it how well you apply it to your everyday life is ultimately going to determine how successful you're going to be whether it's on an individual basis or a team an organization on a global scale it is all about common sense leadership and we do focus on common sense here I'm not all into ethereal academics and highfalutin theories, practical applications, leadership that you can apply in your everyday situation, every scenario that you're faced with. Because let's face it, every situation, every interaction you have with another human being is an opportunity for leadership development and growth. Every single day we are hit with multitude opportunities for influence, for guidance, for, for leadership Somebody right now is looking to you for that influence and guidance, and you may not even be aware of it. So think about how powerful, how significant your life can change if you started intentionally applying leadership in everything that you do. And so I'm excited today to have Roshini Rajkumar on the show today. I've been excited. I talked to her about three weeks ago in early December. She's a keynote speaker and MC and executive coach, and prior to starting her coaching business in 2006. She had a 10-year career in television broadcasting. Um, she's a licensed attorney. She's a, Again, she's a sought-out, sought-after executive coach. And I really was fascinated to talk to her because she's the communication expert. And I've been on this communication kick for the past five, six months. I've always realized that communication is so important to us in our leadership journey. I mean, you can almost point to every challenge that you're faced with on a day-to-day basis from a relationship to the organizations that you're faced with. It all goes back to nine times out of ten, it seems like, improper or lack of or misunderstood communication. And how we present ourselves from a presence standpoint, from a leadership presence standpoint, all of that is communicative, right? And how we carry ourselves and how we're setting the example, how the eyes are always upon us, especially, you know, even if no one's looking at us, somebody's watching our reactions and our actions as leaders, as parents. So it's important that we're always conscious how we're communicating. 
and Rashini is an expert at it. And we it's kind of it's a real fun conversation. We even talk a little bit about the presidential debates and kind of what she thinks based on the communication styles that she has witnessed in in the debates, and it's kind of a fun insight from there. But she's just a, a lot of fun and a very insightful. And uh, just a great conversation. Again, I love having these conversations, and it was a pleasure to have Rashini on the show. Before we get to the interview, again, reminding you that I'm kicking off a mastermind here, depending on when you listen to this. It's January 16th, 2016. I just got a few more seats available, and we're going to go over John Maxwell's brand new book, Intentional Living. And we're going to meet on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time, and uh, we'll go over one chapter a week for 10 weeks. And uh, if you've never masterminded or you've never been in a group like this, I got to tell you, it's a it's a life altering experience. You'll get you'll um, gain friendships and connections, um, lifelong friends. And I got to tell you, I've got a couple that I've I've we meet with, and we even uh, one gentleman I meet with on Saturday mornings. Um, we just talk and and talk about life, and so it's a great opportunity to be intentional about your leadership growth and development as we're hitting 2016. You can get more information at my website at doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com, either one, and you click on the link uh, in the menu item Mastermind with Richard at Dose of Leadership, and there's a masterminding tab on richardryerson.com. You can find out all the information there, okay? And so without further ado, I'm pleased to bring to you Rashini Rajkumar. On Dose of Leadership. Well, so thrilled to have Roshini on the show. Welcome to the show, Roshini. Thank you. You know, I, I looking at your background, and um, I was going to major in television and radio broadcasting early on. I switched to computer science. I kind of wish I would have stayed that way. How did you get started in the, in the broadcasting field? Well, I myself went to college planning to be a licensed attorney, planning to be a trial attorney, and I still kept my interest in going to law school after college, but the television bug bit and uh, really was a slow burning kind of thing. In my final semester of undergrad, I decided I wanted to be a TV reporter. So I did take a year off between college and law school, went to law school, I have my license, even though I don't practice, and then launched my television career and worked my way up from small market to large market television. And that's really a solid background for what I do now because yeah. I was in the hot seat communicating all the time. And I bring a lot of that coaching or in my coaching, I bring that kind of background and experience to my clients. Yeah, that's why I was asking you because I can imagine, and I wish I would have stayed with it. And as I've gotten um, back into the coaching and talking about leadership and just how important communication is, and you're so right. And that's what, I, that was exactly what I was asking is like, it had to be great kind of training ground to what you're talking about today. Right. And you had also limited time Usually, sometimes you had wall-to-wall coverage for storms or other disasters, but right. usually you had a very limited time to convey that day's worth of work. So you might have been out in the field for 8 to 12 hours or putting your story together, and then you had about a minute and a half to two minutes tops to pull it all together, both between your live report, your live piece and the taped package uh, that you put together as a story. So it also really taught how to edit well, how to be right, succinct, how fire. to be conversational. Yeah, doing it under fire, doing it under pressure, and you're right. And I talk about, when I talk about communications, I always think from a leadership perspective as well. I mean, the intentionality is um, is something that's that's so important, but keeping it clear and concise. What As leaders, what do we miss normally when it comes to communication? Well, a lot of people are thinking there's a one-size-fits-all. You hear the term 
elevator speech or 30 second commercial. Right. And that really does say one size fits all, but there are really random, rarely ever a one size fits all situation. Even the same person or same group, you give them a different day, a different setting, that's a different audience. So intention is very much part of everything I do as a communicator and as a coach. I have a communication formula I created called the IAP formula, and I stands for intent. So if you don't really pin down what that intent line is, you won't succeed. But the A is equally important, and that's the audience analysis. So any piece of data point that you can gather or pieces about your audience really help you customize the P, the powerful performance, in a way that will hit home with that audience. So what leaders as well as regular folks miss is that they don't do that detailed audience analysis and fully understand what a particular audience needs in order to receive your message. Yeah. I think a lot of times when I, especially early on in my leadership career, I would think, okay. And I love that you would use the word presence. And when I first, for example, was going to officer candidate school for the Marine Corps and I remember I got off the bus and the guy was yelling at me and he's saying, boy, you better get some command presence because you have none. And when I heard that <laughs> word command presence, it, it, the images that came to my mind were, okay, I got to be larger than life. I got to be charismatic. I got to be tall, booming voice, square jaw. I'm none of those, right? And to me, and I'm curious what you think about this. When I talk about leadership presence now, it's around this kind of aura of authenticity, transparency, and confidence at the same time. What, what do you think when you hear that? Authenticity is absolutely a word I use often. Yeah. We want you to be intentional yet in an authentic way. So right. your delivery needs to stay with who you are. We can always polish anyone's delivery. Sure. If you're funny, use humor. If you're not really funny, then humor is not a good thing to rely on when you're communicating, especially in larger group settings, because it's not authentic for you and it probably won't hit home and, and won't, it might even really bomb. So really being authentic to your strengths. I like people to play to their strengths. And even if you're a little rough around the edges, people will forgive you because they see that you're being right. authentic and you're really trying in your own voice. I've heard a lot of leaders, particularly when they kind of hit that authentic, uh, authentic core and they're comfortable with themselves, people have come up to them, they've worked with them for years and say, hey, I find you seem like a human being now when that transparency kind of comes comes through. It, I guess what I'm trying to say is like we, we need to stop. We need to start taking off the mask and stop trying to worry about being a persona, try to tap into our authentic self. But I, I, that sounds easy, but do you have any suggestions on how we can do that? Yeah, I mean, this works for both larger-than-life personalities as well as people who are more introverts. Both types and everyone in between can be just as effective, can have powerful presence. It really is about being intentional, understanding that audience, and sticking to that yeah. authenticity. So that mask that you talk about, often people think when they have to get up and give a presentation, even if it's just to a small group, not on some kind of big stage, they put on a more for formal, rigid, robotic delivery. Right. And that's what you're calling the mask. What I say to people is, when are you at your most authentic, unedited self? That's usually with your partner, your best friends, your siblings, your parents. Let's see if we can take that person, that very natural person, and minus any profanities or slang, take that person to more formal business communication settings, and you're going to have a better 
deliverer. Right. So it's really trying to embody who you are when you are that most natural, unedited self. Of course, you have to keep in mind who the audience is. So, you know, you may have to dress a little more formally or whatever, but that person is who I want to see come out even on bigger stages. What about body language? How do we, how do we become more intentional about that? I found if I'm, uh, I've had a coach look at me when I'm speaking or presenting and they start pointing out the body language. And then all of a sudden that's all I focus on. I think about it and it be, and I, I kind of go down this kind of um, spiral of just worrying about my body language and it becomes kind of awkward to me. Has that ever happened to you or your clients? Yeah, it happens all the time to clients. And I get asked about this actually in reviewing presidential candidates and debate right. presence, presidential presence. And what I say is if you're on a stage, even if it's a classroom and there are five people in front of you, plant yourself. And how you do that is standing with your feet a little bit wider than shoulder width apart. Right. That really helps you plant your trunk. And when your trunk is planted, your upper body is not tight and rigid, but it's actually more able to do things naturally. But if you don't plant your feet, then there's a lot of distraction in all of your movement. So plant yourself, say, you know, part of your presentation, whatever it is, and then feel free to move, but replant. Replant, So the walking and talking isn't always the best way to go. I mean, sometimes it's natural, but that planting of the lower body usually helps anchor people. And then find what is a natural ready stance for you. And an, an, an easy one, which maybe some people have to teach themselves, but it's just keeping your arms easily at your sides. Then they are free to move one at a time, both together, up, down, whatever, but return them to that ready stance. You've also you've often seen people in a kind of an arm lock or a hand lock, or one elbow is locked with the clicker yeah. of a for a PowerPoint. Yeah. That's not a great ready stance because now all of a sudden you're locked up and you don't have as many options of where both arms and both hands can go. Yeah, I find myself locking my elbows at mid stance, like when my hands are constantly at my gut level. And that drives me crazy. But it feels weird to me to have my kind of arms down at my side but you're saying that that's kind of the and that you know plant i love the planting piece because i walk too much too when i'm as a leader i'm always walking back and forth and i don't like that i like the planting piece planting is good and try it next time richard when you are speaking in front of a group put start with those arms down at the side you yeah. know presumably you're going to have a microphone like a lapel mic so you don't have to worry about your mic right and then just Kind of, in fact, try not to think about it and watch the video afterward right. and see what you did. Because a lot of times when those hands start low, they'll come up one at a time or both together and then they'll go back down. Maybe they'll come all the way up. Maybe they'll come midway. But you're just in a more natural starting right. position. Right. What about hands in a pocket, one hand in a pocket? What's your feelings on that? I try to get people, it's usually my men that I work with, I try to get men away from doing that because some will start jingling the change in their pocket. It's also a little sloppy and it can also get a little distracting. So certainly if at one point your hand goes in your pocket for, you know, you're gesturing with one hand, the other hand goes in your pocket, but get the hand back out of the pocket. I don't want to get you into a, a, a pocket lock. Yeah. 
Oh, interesting stuff. I love that. You know, um, you, you brought up the debates. Any thoughts on what you've seen? I mean, I don't, I don't care what your political inclinations are, but just from a leadership standpoint, from body language of what you've seen over the past five months? Yes, it's very fun watching these candidates. Many of them have different bodily tics. Right. One of them, Rand Paul, as a matter of fact, I see him with that pen and he shakes that pen. That pen is locked in one of his hands. He's kind of pointing it at us and moving it. And that's kind of condescending. So there's a subtextual Mm. message that goes along with the actual movement of any kind. And the subtextual message when you're doing that with the pen is so distracting that now I've stopped listening. I cannot focus in on your message. And that's not good for the communicator. So that's one of the things I see there. With Donald Trump, I see the face. His face is very distracting to me when he does those kind of weird things with his mouth. Right. I mean, I've gotten over the hair because the hair is just there. (laughs) But um, those mouth gestures. So even having a ready stance with your face because those debates are a game face kind of situation. You can't give away too much with your face. So if you can have a pleasant ready stance that's kind of signaling to the world, you're listening, but you're not judging and you're waiting your turn to speak and, and say your assertive lines or platform, that's the best way to go for the candidates. And that plays out for regular folks too. Yeah. What about Carly Fiorina? Carly Fiorina. Well, I actually really like her presence. Yeah, I do too. Most of what I've seen on these debates, she always comes in some good colors, uh, clothing that's flattering to her, well tailored. That's important for men and women. She, there's nothing about her look that's distracting, so that's helpful. And then she's, you know, she realizes she's only w- one of two women on both sides of the aisle here. So naturally, a lot of eyes are on her. So everything she's doing is microscopically judged far more than it is the, with the men. Yeah. She gets that. My sense is she's had a good number of years of coaching, both in her executive life and even for these debates. And she is just a racehorse when it comes to delivering well. So I haven't seen any major flubs from her. We've seen some more powerful performances than others from her, but not any flubs in her case. Yeah, I think she's a great communicator. I don't know, from a leadership standpoint, I, I feel impressed by her communication ability as a leader for sure. Yes, for someone who has not served a formal political office, mm-hmm. she is the best communicator of the bunch, definitely on the Republican side, because she is able to talk about all these different world and global issues in a very understandable way, yet she's got some insight and she's got the experience of having met with these prime ministers and other heads of state that not a lot of people can say with the same level of, of clout. Right. This is interesting to me from a leadership perspective, too, because I think um, how do we become as leaders? I mean, well, I hear a lot of times from leaders like, well, you either have it or you don't. I mean, mean, we certainly we can polish like you said, but if you tap into that authenticity, even if you're an introvert or you're a type A extrovert, it doesn't matter. You can still have a commanding presence, right, despite no matter what your leadership style. You can always have a commanding presence. The The bottom line is most people are not just born that way. Right. Even people you think about who have just amazing off the charts charisma, they've worked at it in different ways. And sometimes the working at it is just doing it, the repetition. Right. So what I always say to people when I'm on stage speaking and coaching this or with individual clients is there's not a magic 
bottle that you drink and then all of a sudden you're this amazing communicator. Right. If that were the case, I would be a gazillionaire. But <laughs> right. I do try to inspire people to be more intentional, be more strategic, really understand the audience who's in front of them or who will be receiving the call or the email and can perform to that audience in a way they understand it. And the more and more you do that repeatedly, repeatedly, and then study your own communication to figure out where you really did well and try to repeat that, kind of like in golf, right? Yeah. You want to repeat those great strokes. And then we want to forget about the not so great ones. But when it comes to communicating, even studying when you feel like you've done not, you've not done as well or you've bombed, studying that is a gold mine in information about yourself. Yeah. Maybe you realize that, hey, yellow doesn't look good on you. I mean, if that's all you take away from one piece of tape, that's a victory. Or maybe you learn, wow, I'm actually funnier than I thought I was. I should try to hone that. It's all of that that comes together. And it only happens from repetition. We often hear of Bill Clinton as an example of an amazing communicator. Well, think about this person now, right? He's approaching 70. And how long has he been in public life? You know, even back to his college days. So he's repeatedly, repeatedly, Bill have. He's been himself, Bill, been Bill Clinton on a stage or in front of an audience or in a small group. So he's had years and years and countless opportunities to practice Bill and get the reaction. Yeah, that's great. A lot of times what I see leaders today, whether they've you know had a lot of opportunities to communicate publicly or they haven't, they think that, okay, I've got to learn these certain things, watch a few tapes, read a few books, and now I'm going to be great. There is nothing that can duplicate actually doing. So actually communicating, seeing how it goes, learning from that. I love that. One of my favorite things I read uh, on your blog was, and um, I was coached on this early on in my uh, corporate career, the ability to handle um, a compliment, you know, so many times, and you say it in your blog that you can kind of stumble your presence or you can put a dent in your presence if you don't learn how to accept a compliment. How do we do that? Well, Richard, thank you is a complete sentence. So at the very least, when you get a compliment, just say thank you, Yeah. pause, and if there's more that's needed, continue. Otherwise, that in itself is a great response. I really am trying to help people get away from disclaimer language. Yeah, Or when we say, even when we're saying our own comments, instead of just saying the sentence, we say, I think, or I believe, just say the sentence. The same comes through and is true about compliments. When someone's saying something about you or to you, I mean, unless you truly don't deserve it, like they're complimenting you for winning the Nobel Peace Prize (laughs) and you really didn't, that would be the only time to say, you know what, it was actually Jimmy Carter, (laughs) you know, something like that. Then it's kind of a humorous moment, but otherwise, thank you's enough or, wow, I'm so glad you read that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you sharing your feedback. I mean, that is the best way to go when it comes to compliments. It's accepting it's accepting the love for what it is, right? And instead of trying to discount it, and when we discount it, we're actually kind of insulting them and we're also insulting ourselves. 
really, if you think exactly about it. one of my favorite ones that I myself have had to work on this because there's no reason when and maybe this happens more with women than men. I don't know. But when someone compliments you on a dress or a jacket or an accessory, and then you follow up with, "Oh my gosh, I got it at this place for ten bucks." You know what? I didn't need to know that. Just say thank you, right? right? So, uh, you know, unless it's your sister-in-law and you want to help them get a good deal, that would be the only opportunity, I think, that you have to share pricing. (laughs) Otherwise, thank you is enough. Yeah, I love that. Great little tidbits, I think. Little simple things we can do to help with our presence. I think one thing that um, I really wanted to talk to you about when we initially set up this interview and we talked briefly on the phone before is this whole uh, concept you're passionate about um, uh, working with millennials or millennials in the workplace. And we've, we've broached this topic a few times on this show and it's uh, one I'm passionate about as well. How did you get, uh, first of all, um, interested in this area of, um, and I know I hate to stereotype uh, uh, groups, but how did you get passionate about working with or understanding millennials in the workplace? I am always fascinated by all of the elements that contribute to powerful presence and great communication. And if we just look at the raw data, we are sitting with at least four, possibly five different generations in the workplace. And this year, millennials, so in 2015, millennials will surpass baby boomers as living beings on this earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it is millennials have something to say to all of us. I'm a Gen Xer. There are clear communication differences among the generations. And it plays into what I talked about earlier, Richard, the audience analysis. So if you can garner some data points about someone you're about to have a high stakes meeting with or someone who's new to your company, if you can get some data points based on that generation, and again, you, you need to get to know the person that they, you don't want to be too stereotypical, right. but you can get some basic ideas and that's going to help you structure how you communicate with that person as well as other people you work with or have to hire or are trying to win over. So it's all of those things that are so important when it comes to the audience analysis. And in this IAP formula that I coach, The A is really the crux. Each letter is co-equal, but the A is what's going to separate uh, the blah from the great or the great from the fabulous. Right. Is how much more detail can we get about who that audience is? And, you know, my mother is kind of on the borderline, but I think she is considered a boomer somewhere around that, maybe a little older. But she's a very different, she receives information differently from how I do. And I've got some young cousins-in-law who are definitely millennials. And they received information information differently from how I do. But in holiday gatherings or when we go out socially, everybody has to get along, right? So there are different things you can do to really understand how to power up your presence by not poo-pooing the differences, but really understanding them and using them to your advantage. So... I'm coming in. I'm a new employee. I'm a Gen Xer like with you. We're roughly the same age. Um, A peer of yours, same position, um, but she's a millennial. She's 28. What were the differences? How would I communicate with you differently than with this uh, 27, 28-year-old? 
Well, right off the bat, and I make no bones about it, that that millennial is going to be way more tech savvy than I am. But I realize that I need to get with the program. I am going to absolutely respect the knowledge that hopefully we'll see or I can ask her about that she has that she can bring to the team or that she can bring to various tasks. But I am very much about great grammar and presence and being meticulous about how you communicate in writing and in spoken word. So I want to be a resource if she ever needs help with face-to-face meetings or saying the right thing on a phone call that you have to have. You can't just do it by text. So it's those kinds of things that actually can really work together to make for a stronger team. Very nice. What about, what is your general take on, I'm very, especially after doing this show, I've said it before in the show, I'm very optimistic or more optimistic than I was three years ago about um, the kind of the entrepreneurial mindset of the millennials these days. I Compared to say when I was fascinated with entrepreneurship in the 80s, as opposed to now, I see millennials wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves. Is Am I spot on that kind of uh, generalization? They definitely want to be part of something bigger than themselves. This is happening in business life. It's happening in their philanthropic donations, activities, uh, their social media, all of that. The other piece of it, though, is really understanding that sometimes they're becoming more entrepreneurial because the traditional lines of job are, are kind of out for them or some of the older generations are hanging on for security and needing to work longer because it's frankly, life is expensive and we're living longer. So it's a mixed kind of thing. Some of them are truly becoming entrepreneurs because they really want it. And some are having some kind of, you know, dissing in the workplace. So they're starting their own thing. So I think they're also, we can't get too stereotypical about it. We just need to dig down and and really find out why. And they want their voice, though, to be heard. It's more important to them, uh, especially when it comes to charitable giving, that they feel like they're part of something and not just a check for 50 bucks. Right. So that's something that as we communicate with millennials in all different kinds of settings to remember that. And it may even change the tone of how you email or call or meet with them. Right. So what's exciting you now? What's look, what are you looking forward to with your performance group? Oh, there's so much. Thanks for asking. You know, it's really, really fun with the work I do to be able to really strategize someone's personal brand with them and see how the things that all of us do in our daily lives and a lot of who I work with are executives, but I do work with some up and coming executives also. But with all of them, you know, most people are doing some kind of service work. Uh, whether it's on a nonprofit board or other charitable things. Some executives, many, and I'm advising them to, are serving on corporate boards or want to serve on corporate boards. So really assessing how the current work you're doing, as well as the philanthropy you're doing, is setting you up for serving on a corporate board one day. Or as you move forward as a leader, if you care about your legacy, This whole idea of being a thought leader, which I know you care about that, Richard. Mm -hmm. I care about that. How do we brand that thought leadership? And so I really love digging in deep with different thought leaders and helping them 
with their own speaking engagements or their media interviews to really stand out as thought leaders. So that's really, that's really, really fun. And I'm working on my next book right now, and hopefully it'll be out uh, in time for the 10th anniversary of my business in 2016. Oh, very exciting. When do you think that'll come out? Well, I'm hoping first quarter of 2016, but I've got to really yeah. get the thing written. So, um, but it, it should be fun. It will be very different from my current book, Communicate That. And um, I'm, I'm just excited. And, and I see, I always say to people that repetition is so important because excellence is really in the nuances. Excellence is in the details. And you don't really have nuances if you're still struggling to just figure out, you know, where do I put my hands? Right. So taking some time now, no matter where you are in your career, any generation, to do those self-assessments, how do I communicate? What are my strengths? What are my challenges? Let me add some polish. Let me add some intentionality. Taking that time now is really going to work for you when we're thinking about the long game. Yeah, and I, I can't overemphasize the importance of what you just said about the intentionality and the self-awareness piece. I mean, you have to know who you are and what you stand for. And I think so, a lot of times, and I, I'm guilty of this, and even, you know, yeah, I want to be this, or I want to be in this position, or I want to be a thought leader in this, or a leader in this. But a lot of it was going through kind of almost on autopilot. And, and I find a lot of people doing that. I'm guilty of it or doing things that I thought was expected of me. And it wasn't until, and it's still, it's a lifelong journey. You're, you're constantly, you know, having, seeking self-awareness, self-improvement and all those things. But the more self-aware you are, I think that is probably one of the biggest things you can do for yourself as a leader if you want to gain more influence. Um, because for me, it's like when you work on yourself, it's like you get, and you shine the light on yourself and through your example, just by, through your example, you give the people around you the freedom to do the same. And that's how influence starts to happen. I don't know what, what you take when you hear that. Yeah, absolutely. I like when you said when you really know yourself. And this is why it is important to do the debriefing with yeah. yourself after various communication moments. Sometimes that involves reviewing documents. Sometimes it involves reviewing audio or videotape where you can really see and hear how you just performed. And the more you get to know who you are as a communicator, not only do you get better next time out, next time out, but you know exactly when you did well and when you were lackluster. Yeah. And no one really has to tell you. You just know because you've been putting in the time on self-analysis. And it feeds into you know what you stand for. And so in those difficult communication crisis if a crisis comes up or you just there's a gray area you're not knowing to do and having that self-awareness and that bedrock of um, values and character knowing what you stand for helps i think right what is your brand what mm -hmm. is your authentic brand and that becomes your security blanket as well as something you can truly showcase and i wish people would be more bold too i mean it just seems like in an age when it's so it's easier more than ever, or there's more opportunities more than ever. I don't know easier is the right word. There's more opportunities than ever to make a bold statement, an authentic statement. Um, I wish people would be more bold and stop worrying about if they're going to upset somebody, you know, stand for something, I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting for. I absolutely agree with you. Really being proud of what you do know and showcasing that and then not pretending when right. you might not know something. And exactly. Whoever knows that, 
uh, showcase that piece. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious who your heroes are. Wh- whose shoulders are you standing on right now? You know, that's a tough question. I mean, definitely my parents. My my father died when I was little. He was an amazing communicator. Both my parents, very hard workers, immigrants to the United States from Sri Lanka, you know, worked very, very hard. So I would say they are heroes of mine. As far as amazing communicators, I have uh, a couple girl crushes out there. I am a huge fan of former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Oh, yeah. I, I got to interview her a year ago on my radio show, and it was just fabulous. And uh, also interviewed Ariana Huffington about a couple months before Secretary Albright. So that was those were two big, big hitting interviews, and they were really, really a thrill. Uh, I also look at, you know, people who are in, and there are many of these people out there, but people who are really trying to push the envelope when it comes to business or it comes to the environment. And they're doing exactly what you're hoping they do. And they're being bold and they're realizing they may fall flat on their faces, but they're being bold and they're going to learn from that experience no matter which way it goes. So those kinds of people, and you know, there are many of those all around us are very inspiring to me. I love it. I love the work that you're doing. I love what you stand for. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about you? Well, it's very easy to remember this. Our URL, which is really my movement, ownyourwow.com. And that gets it exactly what you're talking about. Know what your space is, master it, and then own your wow. There's a lot of complimentary content on there. There's information about my book, Communicate That on there. And I really welcome people to email me with any questions. Uh, We have lots of things on there. They can also listen to the podcast from past radio shows of mine and uh, hopefully get some more content on empowering their own authentic selves. I love it. Own your wow. And uh, Rashini, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. I look forward to staying in in contact with you. I love your style. I love what you stand for. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.